A quick intro here to say, if you're going to listen to this, it's going to be minimally edited, so you're going to have to put up with a lot of my so's and so's, ums, ands, uhs. And I'm editing out the live caller to save time. If you're interested in that in the full unedited podcast, check the link in the show notes to the Wisdom app recording. Wholeness and welcome. This is Josh Dibbold, Integrating Presence again. And maybe I'll come up with a new intro sometime other than that. It's become a habit now. Today's event, You Teach Me. And the description I have for this is a brief experiment where you, the audience, teach me anything you'd like. It could be from the spiritual journey, inner work, everyday life, work, play, groups, family, friends, enemies, frenemies, relationships, etc. And I may fill in gaps with how to approach teachers and others for information, wisdom, knowledge, teachings, etc. So I added a little bit to the description of what I had written. So this is your time where you can jump in here and teach me something. What have you learned? Um, not just to teach me, but what you could do specifically. Um, or I mean, with, that you could teach other people as well. So it could apply to me. It could apply to the audience. Actually, it could apply to nobody. If you want to just, if you think that you would be better off talking to a wall and you feel brave enough to share, you can do that. I guess to jump in here to what I had prepared, um, I wanted to mention that there's some related posts to this. And if I publish this as a podcast, I'll throw in the, the notes. But the, if you just uh, search on my website for these articles, you can find it. How to Find Meditation Teachers. And then the Ask Anyone Anything, Live With Whom, Minor Ask Us Anything Restart. That post, that long title, um, that I did a live on includes links to the following um, blog post too: wisdom snippets, inquiry and investigation, and why and why not to question and inquire or question slash inquire. So this big quote that I felt was relevant for this is something along the lines, I'm probably paraphrasing here, is when the student is ready, the teacher or master will appear. And when the student is really ready, the teacher or master will disappear. You know, basically meaning um, probably you're not going to find the right teacher or master or even material if you're not ready for it, right? So that's kind of a built-in safeguard to information and teachings we're really not ready for. But when we're really ready, then, you know, it's kind of like graduation. The student or the teacher or master will disappear, right? This kind of relating here that I'll do is to um, basically addressing these um, Buddhist groups that I've um, joined. So th these are like Zoom groups that I've joined, um, and they're fairly prominent teachers on there, and especially ones that I really kind of admired and um, joined and asked questions. I've got a couple on a couple of these instances on my website. I think Ajahn Amaro and uh, Thanissaro Bhikkhu. Kind of, Athenas Arabico is a prolific translator of early Buddhist texts, but also a profound like uh, practitioner and lots of wisdom too. And so I think one of the big things to anytime we're going to ask for teachings and information um, and knowledge, wisdom from folks, um, it 
is our intent. I, th- I feel it starts with our intent. You know, is our intent genuine? Is it sincere interest, like I mentioned earlier? And it's not just to look smart or gain merit, uh, this kind of thing. So it really, I mean, it doesn't always have to be done, but it's really worthwhile, I feel, to reflect on one's intent for seeking knowledge and wisdom. It can be, it doesn't have to be right or wrong. It's just being aware of that intent. Also, um, the audience and time allotted involved in these particular things. Um, so it depends like who's the audience for, who's the audience present if it's on Zoom, how much time is allotted for questions and answers. I know I've kind of went overboard, um, with, with my questions. I feel a little bit. It was, uh, about being clear and concise. I feel that's important too. Is it pre, whether it's pre-formulated or not questions? Um, and is it, am I showing the appropriate level of honor and respect? Not too much and not too little. Sometimes it can be overboard, just kind of like fawning and, um, really not feeling worthy to talk and this kind of thing, or just, um, going on and on overboard. But then there's the opposite where it's just like not being respectful or showing any honor at all. Hardly, if at all. Prioritizing questions and requests for the maximum benefit of all. So this is just like icing on the cake, I guess, if one can prioritize their questions that they have asked, you know, depending on the time amount allotted. And if everybody can benefit from the question, I think that might factor into which ones to ask and what kind of wisdom to go after too. And are if you're going to tell any relatable anecdotes, are they necessary, helpful, and appropriate? I know I had one antidote ready to go, um, kind of relating a certain teaching from a teacher in real life, but I got cut off probably thankfully because, um, it probably wasn't, um, I don't either appropriate or probably wasn't necessary depending mostly because the time allotted wasn't there and there was other people wanting to ask questions too. Viewing kind of Eastern Buddhist lay audience as a Westerner, the pros and cons of that, kind of some observations about uh, Eastern lay audiences as a Westerner. Um, so here's some of the pros of what I've noticed about this. And these are actually, a lot of these are also in Western cultures. Um, I guess, at least in my limited, very limited experience, um, Western cultures and spiritual traditions, maybe some religious traditions. So of course the pros that I've noticed in Eastern lay audiences, Buddhist audiences, is there's a bunch of respect and honor um, and appreciation for the teachers. It's inspiring to see so many uh, practicing and studying. Um, The value, it's very valuable as well. People find lots of great things and help in their lives. There's also um, plenty of humility as well. And there's a display of order and cohesiveness and harmony um, in the community and a big sense of community. And it's also a f- like functionality, like certain people have certain roles. And it just seems to kind of all work well together when it works well together. You know what I mean? So some of the, I guess, cons of this, um, I'll start off here by one of the teachers that I sat down and had tea with. Uh, and kind of a more formal tea ceremony, and I've never done anything like that. And later when I was meeting with him, um, I said, you know, I mentioned that, and I said, I didn't know how to act. And then he said, me either. 
And so that immediately made some cool rapport and just kind of brought everything back down to earth. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, that was a time to be formal and kind of figure out how to do formal things. And, and then when I was chatting with them more informally, then it wasn't. So also, uh, you know, this is one of the things that's helped me a lot is this saying, what other people think about me is none of my business. At the same time, we're trying to be respectful and follow culture and protocols and things like this. So sometimes can't help but wonder, am I being perceived as the opposite of those aforementioned wonderful, great qualities, beautiful qualities I just mentioned, and maybe also disruptive for not being able to do so? And why would this be important, this perception? Well, like I say, sometimes the feeling that if you don't follow it, then it might be disrespectful disrespectful. I know in the the Zen tradition, um, few times that I've been involved with that, um, I kind of shy away from strange and formal formalities, which is actually a good flag that um, of the importance of training in that. So in the Zen tradition, from what I understand, at least the Soto Zen, very few times that I've um, sat formally with a community like that, there's a whole, there's, there's lots of bowing and there's a certain, I guess, container or protocol of things that go around. It's not just sitting in meditation. There's other things involved bowing, um, in a certain order, I guess. I don't know how to put it exactly. And of course, walking and then bell ringing, um, possibly chanting, uh, sutta reading, but it's, it's orderly. And the thing about it is, uh, in one way, I immediately jumped to, oh, that's restrictive. That's, um, you know, too stifling. It's too ritualistic. It's, it's like a habit. However, this is where one's meditation practice could possibly go to the next level. The nice thing about Zen practice is it gives kind of a, a regimen, a strict, a stricter schedule. So where a lot of unnecessary um, kind of needs in things that don't have to be done, don't have to be done anymore because it's laid out the practice session, the way things go. People know what kind of expect, kind of get in a routine. So anything unnecessary can fall away. Also within those containers in those movements and going through the movements and kind of rituals um, and habits can pay very attention to the slight changes in those. You know, how far you bow, the timing of the bows, the um, reaction of other f- folks, my reaction to the other folks' reaction of how they're doing it, either the same or differently or perception. So even though it does create kind of a limiting container in one sense, it also can draw attention to very slight, minute changes in details, which can help heighten perception and awareness, I feel. So some of going back now to some of the cons of this, I wonder if it's um, assimilation in hive mind sometimes when I view um, some of the Eastern cultures and and lay Buddhist things. And by that, I mean, uh, even though there's a tradition of open inquiry, sometimes um, people are afraid to speak up and ask questions. And that's okay, too. And then I was also wondering, how are the hierarchies different compared to kind of Western traditions? And also the the comparing and contrasting Eastern and Western perceptions of, 
you know, oh, I'm not as good as this person, or I'm better than that person, or I'm just as good as that person. These, these conceits we have, and, you know, I think conceit runs across all boundaries. So no matter what walks of life we go in, it seems like either we and our others that we encounter will have this conceit of, oh, I'm better than that person, but also the inferior conceit of, I'm not as good as them. And then the most subtle one is, oh, I'm just as good as, you know, of course there's um, equity and equality that we should strive for, especially in that everybody deserves more love, not less, right? But this subtle conceit of, or and, and at the same time, this subtle conceit of, oh, I'm just as good as that person. Well, I often say, well, I could never match your unique brilliance, nor could you match mine. And it's it's good that way because if we were all just the same, you know, it would there would be no diversity. It would all be like a gray blob hive mind. And now the paradox of unity, though. Sometimes we get too steeped in diversity and we forget the unity that we're all, the commonalities between us as well. So I think one of the one of the teachers I've heard, it's like, yes, we're all kind of one, but we're all different expressions of that oneness. Even though I'm not too fond of oneness, I like um, interdependence, interconnectedness. Okay, so that out of the way now. We can also ask others, friends, and teachers for recommendations based on interests and intents and goals. So this is pretty pretty much everybody's heard this before, right? If you're interested in certain um, teachings or whatever, you, you have your intents and your goals and what you want to learn or what you might want to learn, and you just ask friends and teachers and other people you bump into what their recommendations are. You know, maybe based on your mutual interest or just your own interest, which you and they might know um, what you'd like to study. And also, if if you're going to a teacher, I guess, or um, some expert, I'm not fond of that either, or somebody you want to study with or potentially study with, and they it's not a and um, if somebody's body of work is really large, like they've written a lot of books, given a lot of talks, um, do a lot of stuff, and you just discovered them. You know, and it's not immediately apparent to you. Just you can ask, you know, where do I start with your material? What's a good jumping on place, maybe in general or for me? Also, if you're going to someone um, to learn stuff, one thing that's overlooked, I feel, is informal methods. So they're informal methods, stuff that's not recorded, stuff they really don't do up in front of groups and audiences. How do their informal methods differ from their formal ones? And how could you find this out? Um, this is kind of where you go up at the end of a talk and maybe get to talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. You can take a retreat possibly with them. Maybe uh, ask if they have some time later to chat. And then you can kind of see them away from the limelight and get a, maybe a little bit different picture, a uh, different idea of how they are, how they might teach informally. And also kind of notice any consistencies or inconsistencies um, when they're not in the public eye versus when they are. So what about mentoring? Anything you've learned about working with mentors? Anything you've learned about mentoring others? Um, now, this is something that I would like to learn from you guys because I haven't really done this formally. You know, I don't really consider anyone a mentor per se, at least in real life. Right. And mentoring usually implies an active process, I would think. Um, mostly for me, it's just teachers and teachings, maybe trainers, trainings. 
Um, also, depending on their workload, it's a good sign if you go and seek someone out and they ask to take you on without you asking them first. I feel that's a pretty decent idea. Uh, decent sign anyway that, that you guys are a good pat, uh, match is if they ask you to um, be mentored by them without you asking first. So what about, and then probably going on the home stretch here, information gathering. So let's say you just want to gather some information. It doesn't have to be anything like spiritual related. I mean, it could just be everyday life. You need to know something. You're curious about something. Maybe you want to stick your nose into something you probably shouldn't be sticking your nose into. So I was just wondering, how do you ask for information? And I'll just give some examples here. So is it like the FBI or, or CIA? Are you approaching people and situations and in your reality like that to get information? Or is it like asking for directions? What about are you going in like the mafia and demanding to know stuff or you'll break some kneecaps or something? Um, are you gathering information like you're buying something? Like you will just pay for it and get it. You know, I got the money. I'll just go get it. Or the opposite of where I'm going to go get information like a handout. I'll just beg for it. Um, is it kind of friendly? Like you're getting information from a friend. Do you treat other people like friends when you're in need of information? Or like family. Um, think about if you're curious about things from family members, some information you'd like. Or maybe some information you wouldn't like from friends and family members. Um, do you approach information gathering like you need help? So kind of asking for help from people or the opposite of that or the other polarity of that or wanting to help. So you're gathering information in order to help others, help yourself. What about small talk? So you're just kind of talking about the weather and something happens to come up and either start there or that's the information you, and that's how you do it. So the last one here I've got, or do you connect with people on mutual interest and connections? So a lot of people love to talk about what they have in common um, and also the folks they have in common. Connections that way kind of build rapport. And with that, I think I will wrap this up. May all beings everywhere be safe in and inside and out. May all beings everywhere be happy and joyful. May all beings everywhere be healthy and strong. May all beings everywhere live knowing ease, and may all beings realize awakening and be free.